This is the Moving Iron Podcast, the only podcast for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number nine. On this episode, I'm joined with Drew Lesnick from Frontline Ag in Conrad, Montana. Drew, thanks for being on my podcast. You bet. Uh, before we get started, I always like to get a little background on on uh, the guy I'm talking to and, and the dealership he's working with. So tell me a little bit about, about Drew and, and Frontline Ag. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, Frontline Ag Solutions was, uh, was actually formed just two years ago uh, when Frontline Ag and Moody Implement merged. Uh, owners of both companies are still involved in our day to day, but uh, you know now working as a as a combined group there. Uh, prior to that, Moody Implement had been around since the 1930s, uh, owned by the Moody family. Uh, they had six locations at the time of the merger. Frontline Ag was uh, formed in the 2000s and uh, had been kind of consolidating formerly single store locations, uh, and at the time we had four locations. So uh, now we're combined and, and cover a good swath through uh, the central part of Montana uh, and we've got uh, 10 locations. Awesome. So then central Montana, so you guys are right in the middle of a uh, little bit of wheat, but primarily cattle country then, correct? Yeah. You know, we've got uh, lots of, lots of wheat, barley, uh, kind of growing into the uh, pulse crops type of thing in our area. And then like I say, lots of, lots of cattle going and, and hay and stuff. So uh, good, uh, good location to be at. We're fairly, uh, fairly fairly simple in our uh, commodities that we deal with but uh, they're they're usually pretty good well good so that leads us into the into kind of what's happening in your local market so are you guys being affected as much with the uh, drought situation that's kind of in you know what's i know it's still kind of east of you a little bit but are you fairly dry where you're at or have you been getting the rains that you need to get uh, it's starting to get uh, dry for sure. As you mentioned, uh, eastern Montana, further east of us there, is uh, getting into some of the worst drought that they've ever had. Uh, they're doing a lot of swathing of winter wheat and hay crops that are non-existent and some of those things. But uh, we've we've been able to manage. Uh, we had a pretty a fairly wet spring, um, but uh, since then it's definitely kind of gone gone a little dry but uh, our guys are still hopeful for their crops uh, if we get a timely rain here in the next 10 days we'll we'll hold over and uh, finish off some of those winter winter wheat and spring crops i think so. well good we're kind of in the same situation we just got done cutting our wheat we had everything got everything out had good yields and i think everyone's pretty happy with what what's what's going on here but we've we've hit that part of the uh of the kansas summer where it's 95 degrees and 30 mile an hour winds and uh you know it rains an inch or so like we had a pretty good storm come through uh last night but you know when you have high winds and high heat it doesn't last very long so hopefully we can keep catching those rains like that through uh through the fall yeah we'd take an inch anytime that's uh that's a big rain for us yeah yeah okay so looking at your local market what do you see out there what do you see happening um, are you seeing some more maybe on-farm auctions that may have taken place, more taking place now than you've seen in the past? Is is uh, is that auction market a uh, something that that you're competing with, or is it is it really not a big deal in your area? You know, for us, we haven't seen a whole lot of local farm auctions with 
late model equipment. Uh, most of the auctions that do happen feature, I guess I would say, small lines of, uh, of aged equipment. Um, the few auctions that have occurred that had some of that later model stuff uh, kind of you know they they can be they can be both for you. They, you know you can use them uh, when you're when you're negotiating, telling guys that we're providing them more value than than they're getting at some of these auctions. But uh, a lot of the times they throw it back at you and uh, remind you that uh, they could have bought that one at the other auction type of thing. But um, at this point, I think you know when we do see those, it can remind us um, what the true cost of ownership on some of those might need to be and. Uh, we can account for that in our valuation of equipment, so that we're uh, we're still the the preferred method of uh, equipment purchase in our area. So yeah. So what do you see, kind of moving forward through the end of the year, looking at looking at out through the end of end of twenty seventeen? What do you see as some struggles, some opportunities, and stuff like that for for Frontline? Yeah. Um, you know, just uh, I guess on on like the the auction front, in, in terms of what we're seeing there, you know, I, I think us and most Montana dealers, we kind of will continue to use the auctions as a as a tool to move some of that smaller and lower valued pieces of equipment. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of still our preferred method, uh, or, or uh, I guess preferred pieces to go on there. Um, in terms of just overall, what are some of our short-term, you know, other things just in the market? Um, I think the the segments that we've got the biggest uh, headache with right now is kind of our Draper combine headers. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got more guys going in some of these pulse crops and uh, some of that. So we've got guys wanting to purchase flex heads, but uh, we're still trying to find the market to get rid of those draper heads that we already had in stock that we took on trade with that machine. Um, so that's that's probably our biggest issue as we finish off 2017 right now. Yeah, that's a trend line that I'm noticing too. When you start looking at at just the rigid draper head that they're coming in on trade, even some of the auger flex heads and stuff like that. Um, you see those guys bringing those in on trade. They're wanting to trade it for a, a flex draper of some kind, whether it's a, a deer, or a MacDon, or whatever it might be. But um, I think they're kind of realizing that with the way the heads have kind of evolved over time that they can lock those things up rigid and they have a, they have a pretty good head. And they can yeah. cut multiple crops with one head instead of having to have three different heads laying around to cut specific crops with each head. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, as mentioned, kind of permeating into our market right now as well. Yeah, that's an issue that we're going to have to find a solution for, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. I think that's it's just going to be a tough market to to uh, to keep kind of going down and, and looking how that that's going to play out through not only through the end of the year, but looking into next year and how we start evaluating those pieces of equipment. Um, leasing equipment, that seems to be a hot topic every time I have a conversation with a with anyone from a dealership, how is is leasing becoming a bigger part of your business than it's been in the past? Uh, yeah, I think uh, for sure it's it's become a, a selling tool um, that we use a lot more. Uh, if nothing else, it's definitely a marketing tool. Um, we put it out there a lot of the times in our advertisements, you know, putting out there the the price per hour type of thing to get that conversation started. You know, sometimes guys will still opt for a a, a normal usage of those so um 
we uh, I would say that we've increased uh, the sales in a few, but you know maybe maybe more so it'd be just maintaining our sales in a number of segments. Um, for us, it's largely in our mechanical fronts, four-wheel drives, and combines that we really push that. It uh, seems to be the best market for us to to do those. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're seeing too. Um, that cost per hour conversation or, or the, the payment conversation is a uh, it's an easier one to have when you start talking with leasing because it seems to me we're, we've kind of passed the features and benefits on a lot of stuff especially some of this older stuff um, we're really concentrating on selling a uh, customer I mean, we're trying to sell that payment to that customer and the whole dynamic that he has with his banker and the situation he's in and so on and so forth um, it is a uh, it's a lot a lot tougher than it used to be when you start talking about you know the cash flow scenario yeah okay so which i think uh i guess you know one thing that i see with that though is you know as you mentioned it, it helps them solve that cash flow requirement uh but i think we may end up uh, as these guys start trading back a lot of our guys are used to seeing equity in their machines and um, a lot of the guys are, you know, the, the way they want that first payment set up, we're using their equity and, and they're coming down to the end with, uh, you know, fairly minimal amounts. Uh, it may end up being a bit of a sticking point when, with them when they do come back to trade, um, just that, that equity cycle there and, and knowing whether they've, whether they've got it or not and, and how that sets up. So, um, I guess our guys, anyways, are, are used to that equity, so I'm I'm wondering how that'll hit when they come back on those leases. So. Yeah, that, and that's a good that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Is is the equity situation on equipment because it seems like there is not as much equity in equipment that people think there is. After we, when you actually when you sit down and start evaluating it and start looking at how you're going to book those units and how you're going to place them in the marketplace and and for us, when we had that conversation. There are the the ramifications with the uh you know the various tax codes and everything and how that how that all falls in there you can really kind of set a guy up for some pretty big surprise if you're not careful and using that equity like you said using equity to to kind of position that stuff so i I think we're going to look at um i think it's going to help this leasing thing will kind of help sell some stuff uh down the road a little bit but i kind of think maybe leasing is going to be more of a a standard practice maybe moving forward with uh, the, the generation that's dealing with stuff now and, and looking at how they can leverage that machinery to uh, <clears throat> you know go out and and um, use that that cash they would use on a payment or the equity or whatever that you want to call it um, and they can buy their things with it you know they can have a cheaper payment on their machine and, and use that free that capital up to go out and purchase whatever it is feed or ground or whatever it might be yeah. I, yeah. And I would agree. I think we've already seen guys shortening their hold period on equipment as well. You know, I mean, they're, we're seeing more frequent trades. Um, you know, we've always seen that on say the new guys, but I think we're seeing it on those guys that are buying the, the, the used machines as well. Now they're coming back and, and trading more frequently. So, yeah. Helps the stuff turn, helps the stuff turn quite a bit. So are, are you, the stuff that you're looking at leasing, are you leasing more new than used or or just crying across the board i'd say across the board um but i i'd almost 
maybe give it an edge to uh, to the used. Um, just because on the new side, I think a lot of the times maybe we have some some roll programs uh, as we call them, you know, already set up where we've where where they do they take them on a on a finance note, but there's kind of a predetermined trade difference set up. Um, so they've already got some of those benefits of a lease without being on a lease. Um, yeah. So that's been more of a selling tactic that we've used on the used. Yeah. Has your power guard up uh, take, has it increased over the uh, last year or so compared to what it's been? Uh, I, you know, I don't know that it has just with the increase in cost. I think, uh, you know, that kind of hurt, hurt a little bit there. But, you know, as, as you do try to cover those machines on leases, you, you make sure those are getting there. But um, I'd just say as an overall, I don't know that our power guard uptake <clears throat> has increased because of the cost. Yeah, it did take a pretty good jump. It did do that. Okay, so kind of rolling into uh, a few EOPs now um, that we've got out there. And it looks like uh, you know sprayers and planters and stuff are going right now. But I would I would guess that planters probably aren't as big a deal up where you're at just because of the crop mix that you grow. Is that correct? Yeah, we don't we don't have many of those. The ones that we do are uh, generally aged pretty well. They're the ones that you guys are done with and uh, think are ready for the scrap pile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's we get a lot of those from uh, from our guys, but we haven't traded as many planters as we had in the past. So hopefully this year will be different. I think there could be some opportunities there. But but looking at yeah. your sprayer market, how's that uh, how's that shaping up for you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously John Deere came out with a number of uh, product uh, improvements there. You know, we've got lots of guys that are interested in in those uh, upgrades, you know, the bigger booms, carbon fibers, the exact ply. Um, haven't necessarily seen it leading into the sales yet. You know, I think guys are still chewing on those prices and, and trying to make sure that uh, they've get, they're getting the value, but um, generate a lot of a lot of interest come into the EOP, but uh, really need to kind of see where that falls. And, you know, guys guys are still a little bit cautious with uh, grain prices and, and some of that and, you know, potential drought type thing. They're, they're all still kind of closed on their wallet there, so we're, we got to let it play out here for a little bit. But uh, it did do a good job of getting guys in the door and talking about them. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a pretty good uh, – we're quoting a lot of sprayers right now. Uh, we're a CAD – dealer so we have you know our our asps and stuff are, are really looking at the uh at the new the new sprayers and really have some some pretty excited things are they're looking at especially with the carbon fiber and the weight issue and all that kind of stuff and especially with now they can get out to 120 feet there it's just it's just a big deal that they can get out there now and, and, and especially on some of these smaller units and spray some more stuff than they have in the past but our used market seems like our our series sprayer seems like we can we can sell those used ones, especially the ones that have a few hours on them where where the price is down. You guys seeing something similar up your way? Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, the the CAD dealer type thing, and uh, we we just got approved for that, which I think will def, definitely help us on the used side. Um, just because you know some of those some of those used ones that you get back in, you might be into them a little better um, coming off those uh, CAD uh, ASPs. Um, where we didn't have that before, you know, I think some of ours still end up, um, maybe a little higher price than, than guys were looking. Uh, but, but we've seen good, 
good sales on them, but uh, hopefully again be improving that with the uh, with the introduction of uh, with our CAD dealer uh, approval there. So. Yeah, yeah. I think what's we're seeing the benefit of that is on those thousand hour, fifteen hundred hour machines that we get that come back. The prices are down enough. You know, they're down in the two hundred thousand dollar range, two hundred thirty five thousand dollar range, and and guys are seeing that and they can step up and get a. A, a fairly new sprayer with some good technology that it's not going to cost them 350,000 bucks to do that. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So high horsepower row crop tractors, you know, so we're talking, um, that's probably a big deal for you guys up there, grain carts and those kind of things and, and pulling air seeders and those kind of stuff. How's that market looking for you? Where's the sweet spot you think in, in that used marketplace? Yeah, you know, uh, this spring uh, we were kind of a little worried coming in. We had, uh, I would say, quite a few four-wheel drives as well as uh, quite a few air seeders, as you mentioned. Uh, and for whatever reason, those really took off this spring, and, and we were kind of wondering if we had enough uh, enough of those as we got to it. But, uh, you know, we, we really saw – uh, strong demand for say that three to five year old uh, R series uh, nine five sixty type tractor, um, as you mentioned with a PTO and and for us that high flow hydraulics, you know we really really had a good uh, spring on those um, units that we had that maybe weren't as specced, uh, you know without a PTO, you know a little smaller horsepower. We still had a little uh, a few extra of those just as. Uh, you know, producers in general went larger and larger as they're getting bigger drills and stuff. Um, but we've we've really started to get a good secondary market on that. You know, and guys are interested, and, and we've been ordering quite a few of the uh, the four tracks. I uh, got a number of those coming in this this summer. So um, we've been we've been pleasantly surprised with where that four wheel drive market uh, has gone since the turn of the year. Uh, we've even you know kind of started to see. You know, maybe an uptick in those used values, I would say, potential. So, yeah, it seems like we have our uh, our four wheel drive marketplace too. We're in that kind of the similar situation in our southern part of our area where there's a lot of wheat and canola that get planted down there, and so we're you know fifty foot air drills and and uh, you know I think we even have a couple forty five foot box drills and those kind of things down there where guys are doing that and. And um, the horsepower requirements are, are creeping up every year, it seems like. And and um, we're getting to the point where more and more guys are ordering PTOs on their four-wheel drives than we've ever had in the past. So that's going to be uh, – it's kind of going to – I think the PTO on a four-wheel drive has almost become a, a standard option in a lot of places. It seems like that's that's becoming a, a kind of a almost a must-have as grain carts have gotten bigger and, and all those things where – PTO driven implements are, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and requiring more and more horsepower. That PTO is getting to be a bigger and bigger deal on the four wheel drive tractor. Yep. Yeah, you know, definitely there. And uh, like I mentioned, for our guys, you know, with the introduction of the newer air cart and, you know, just everything, uh, you know, we really like that uh, high flow hydraulic pump as one of those that, you know, the PTO, at least you can kind of put on aftermarket if you really had to. It's going to cost you quite a bit. But that high flow pump, uh, really one that we we look for anytime that we're doing any you know buying on those making sure it has that because our, our hydraulic requirements have really gone up as well yeah and that's that's another thing too is the uh 
the hydraulic capacity on on these implements anymore, whether it's a planer or a or an air seeder, whatever it is, they require so much more hydraulics than they've had in the past. So it's going to be a it's that's almost a must too to have that on there as well. Yep. So moving into uh, the hay market, and the cattle market. So right now you're taking a look at, especially in your area with the drought the way it is to the east of you, how's that cattle market affecting um, what's happening in, with, your, with your customers? Yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of mixed. As, as you mentioned there, there's some negative things in the market there with just potential drought and, uh, and hay and, and pasture uh, conditions type thing. Um, but there's also been a little optimism uh, here in the last month with the, the the Chinese beef export ban being, you know, I guess officially lifted uh, to some extent, and and some higher calf contracts uh, being offered out there. Um, but you know, that, that still is some some fairly. Uh, uh, I think the cattle guys are, are are a lot better at closing down their wallets and and making sure to kind of you know make things or make sure things are in the in the bin before they do anything. So we've been, we've been a little bit tight in there. Um, you know, I'd say our balers have been an average se- selling season in our AOR, just because we have still had some pretty good, uh, hay crops, uh, you know, with the early, what, you know, early, uh, wet season and stuff. Um, but we've, we've definitely maybe tightened down a little bit on our used balers and our values there. Just, uh, we've seen that with just the, you know, we were going to do that before anyways, but with the large number of new balers that we, as well as other manufacturers have put in the market, we've been seeing that secondary, uh, customer need, need to be priced a little bit lower there. Um, you know, and, and then the other piece there that's really been hitting us, uh, is the wind rowers. Uh, I would say we had a, a tough start to our wind rower season, um, largely due to the availability of our units, uh, uh, the bulk of our stock W-235s that we had coming in, um, we probably didn't get them on the ground until a lot of guys already had their first cut and already laying on the ground. So um, made it tough for us. Obviously, guys are already into their season, already using their old machine, but uh, we've got out there and had had a few success uh, stories and selling a few of those. Um, but we still face some pretty strong competitive pressure um, in our area, lots of them from New Holland, uh, especially on that rotary cutter. So um, not uh, not all great, but at the same point we've been we've been getting out there and doing them and uh, hasn't been hasn't been falling uh, near as much as if we were, say, further east there. So right. <clears throat> so how, how's the uh, actual hay market been for you guys? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going east or is, there, is that still? too soon to really have much effect on it because of the drought yeah i don't think we've seen you know seen any going that way yet <clears throat> you know i'm sure there will be uh just you know they're, they're not going to have any type of thing but uh we, we haven't seen any sales going that way yet i haven't really heard a whole lot in terms of prices um you know guys you know coming over yet and already offering high prices or anything like that but uh I, i'm sure it will end up being uh being a source for our guys to get some of their hay marketed but they're also going to be a lot of our guys aren't producing a lot of extra you know they're doing it for themselves and and have just what they need for their their operation but uh the guys that do have some to sell might be able to get a little bit of an opportunity there yeah yeah so when you were talking earlier just a little bit ago you're talking about the the windrow pressure that you're feeling from new holland um 
Where do you th- what what is that? What do you think that pressure is, and, and is it a is a is it a machine thing or is it a price thing or what? Where do you feel like that pressure is coming from? Yeah, I mean, we still think that our machine outperform outperforms theirs, especially when you have it all GPSed up and you're you know out there cutting uh, with auto track. I mean, ours ours still beats them pretty pretty hands down. We think, but uh, they're you know price is a strong motivator and uh, they they still beat us pretty handily there it seems um you know john deere is doing a good job of getting us some discounts uh you know with with the new holland uh, mention if you will but at the same point um we're we're still going to be priced priced above them um you know the i guess the the good thing for us is our used market you know if we're taking a trade you know taking a you know specifically like a john deere you know trade r450 90 4995 something like that um, we still have pretty good buyers for those, so if we can, if we can get them there, we can maybe uh, be priced a little bit higher on the trade than our competition would be. But uh, we're we're still still getting beat on price, but we we feel that if we can get them in the field and try a W two thirty five, we're able to seal that deal more often than not. Yeah, and that's that's what I think the high point is for the for the wind rower market is, yeah, our wind rower is more expensive than than the. Uh, the competitions but look at i think if you look at what when you trade them and you bring them in and what their trade the trade values are worth uh comparative to the to the new one that they're going to buy i feel like the john deere used value is is significantly stronger than than anything else is yep yeah we uh we continue to provide that value anyways and uh, like i said we we keep having the buyers so we're we're going to keep doing it yeah yep okay so, kind of looking at a at a macro level here, um, kind of outside your AOR, kind of looking across the United States and coming through the end of 2017, what do you think are some some positive and negative factors that are going to influence the marketplace? Uh, you know, I guess it's still fairly micro, and you're just kind of talking about. But I think you know that increased market for beef uh, is going to help. You know producers in, in, in a whole, if we can especially start getting in there with, with any volume. Um, if nothing, right now it's producing uh, optimism. Hopefully it produces some actual exports here pretty quick and we can do that. Um, you know, we, we have seen some improving small grain prices, uh, so that that's helping us. Uh, and a lot of our guys, um, this last year, we actually had a, a large cut in our barley contracts, uh, but with that, a lot of guys went into these pulse crops um, you know, that still guaranteed, uh, some contract prices. And, and if they can get them through harvest here, I think a lot of our guys are still going to be, uh, doing pretty good from a, from a farm, um, profitability standpoint there. Um, you know, I think that'll definitely help them. Um, the negative factor there, you know, it, we, we've maybe worked out of it, uh, but, you know, we still have a large amount of late model equipment just in the, in the industry, I think so. Um, trying to make sure that we're properly valuing that used stuff uh, can still be a negative factor. Making sure that we're not uh, overvaluing that stuff and getting back into a bad cycle there. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I think. I'll, I'll probably echo a lot of things you just said there, but I think that the Chinese beef thing to me is is going to be a a big catalyst kind of moving forward for the cattle market and, and what that looks like. If that does. St- really trying to start taking off and start getting some traction and taking off and going that's a big that's a huge marketplace and 
that's going to dump a lot of uh, a lot of our beef over there, and I, and I think that was, that's great for any chance that we can that we can do stuff like that. Um, the uh, the late model equipment thing, you know, looking at just the the late model equipment, I think there's going to be some some positives there because you're going to build there's just not as much of it out there so you, you will get some of a somewhat of a premium for that stuff but also you have to be logical about what you're doing um but there's still there's still a lot of equipment out there and, and lease returns that are that are kind of looming out there uh through different different areas that are that are holding those so you kind of i feel like we have another couple years of of kind of stagnant marketplace um when you look at we start looking at values because there's a, so much 12, 13, 14s out there that that are still kind of having a, a an effect on a relative effect on what happens with the the 15s, the 16s, the 17s, and soon to be 18s. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah. we're definitely focusing more on that. Uh, you know that that price per hour thing in terms of on our side, you know, and, and where we're making sure that that's a, that's got consistent uh, depreciation schedule to it. And uh, just making sure we're understanding where, where those things are, are headed type of thing and, and what that hold period is and, and what the value will do in that hold period and some of that. So. Yeah. So when you take a look at, I just, I like asking this question. So how does your use equipment process work? Well, uh, you know, and I think I kind of skipped over at the beginning there, but, uh, you know, what, what's changed with our business, you know, since we merged, you know, is, is greatly changed. Uh, and when we first kind of came together, it, it really seemed like it was, you know, two organizations, maybe even 10 separate locations all acting independently. Um, last fall, we went through a, through a process to, to help uh, align that. And uh, with that, we we hired our, our director of sales who was already with us, uh, Matt Strong. He's kind of overseeing that and making sure that's uh, now unified, as well as put my position uh, into a little bit more formal there with director of remarketing so that we're running all values, uh, all trade evaluations uh, consistently through here. Um, so that, that was a big change last year, getting that so that we've got the guy really working the front side on on uh, the the new sales got me on the back side uh, providing consistent trade values for everybody across the the whole organization um, getting those in and then uh, you know watching our, our our values a lot more and our hold periods there and making sure that that turn rate is is increasing so yep very similar to how we do it too we have we have uh, nine stores down here, and you know, all, there's with there's exceptions to, to some things that the stores do at the at the at the store level. You know, there's a few things that they take care of, but pretty much large and small ag stuff. I take a look at all that and and uh, kind of research the marketplace and try to figure out where the where the where it's headed and where it's at, and hopefully I I picked right. And about nine months from now, I'll, I'll know if I did it or not. And that's that's the uh, that's the one hard part about this gig is that whatever decision you make now, you you've got nine months to a year before you realize if you're right or not. Yeah, yeah, that can always be a challenge. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, Drew, I feel like we've got a pretty good feel for for who you are and what Frontline Ag is. And before we uh, check out, man, you got any words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to the to the uh, interwebs and 
Oh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, like I say, we live pretty simple up here in Montana. So, uh, we just, uh, we just keep, uh, keep turning the wheels and, and see what grows. Yep. Montana is my, one of my favorite States. That's we beautiful place. And there's a, still has that, that rustic feel to it. You betcha. Okay, man. Well, Drew, I appreciate it. And, um, if there's, uh, anything that ever comes up that I can help you with, make me, you know, feel free to give me a call and I look forward to talking to you down the road, man. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, bud. That's going to do it for this edition of Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Drew Lesnick of Frontline Ag for being my guest on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.